Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome again to Food for the Journey. The first reading today is from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 1, and then verses 4 to 6, which isn't very long, but listen carefully. Thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors for him and leaving the gates unbarred. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name, giving you a title, though you knew me not. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Take that in, brothers and sisters, because people try to tell us, "Uh, well, God, he's, he's not here now. He's right here. He loves you. He's right beside you now. You don't know that. He can be many places at one time. He's right here, and he's with you, and he called you by name. He knows you. He knows you by name. Think of that. He knows us. And so we take a look now at Psalm 96. Give the Lord glory and honor. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all you lands. Tell his glory among the nations, among all peoples, his wondrous deeds. For great is the Lord and highly to be praised. Awesome is he beyond all gods. For all the gods of the nations are things of naught, they're nothing. But the Lord made the heavens. Give to the Lord, you families of nations. Give to the Lord glory and praise. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring gifts and enter his courts. How often do you stop when you're going to work or coming from work, if you're anywhere near a chapel or a church, do you ever just stop in and give the Lord some time, just for a minute maybe? Just tell you to tell him how much you love him. Give the Lord glory and honor. That doesn't just mean say that psalm. But tell him that you do love him. Tell him that you want him. Worship the Lord in holy attire. In other words, don't come in... of the Holy See, 
renewed efforts to advance nuclear armament. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Since 2010, periodic talks for the review of the landmark 1970 Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons have stalled as international tensions have increased. This poses significant risks for the global non-proliferation regime, with some states increasing their interest in acquiring nuclear weapons. In his statement, Archbishop Katscha expressed the Holy See's disappointment at the increased levels of polarization and mistrust at the first session of the Preparatory Commission for the 11th Review Conference on the Treaty, due to take place in 2026. At a time when flexibility is most needed, the lack of a chair's summary will be detrimental in working towards consensus, he said. The Vatican Permanent Observer therefore called on states' parties to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty to work to reverse the current downward spiral of arms control and disarmament policies. Furthermore, Archbishop Katscha relayed the Holy See's unequivocal condemnation of all rhetoric that threatens the use of nuclear weapons and of nuclear explosive testing. The Vatican representative concluded his intervention by saying that Despite the dark clouds of growing conflict and escalatory rhetoric, there is ample space for hope. In this regard, he said the Holy See looks forward to the convening of the second meeting of states' parties of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. It also welcomes the deliberations of the MPT Working Group on further strengthening the review process. I am Lisa Zengarini. The Holy See has announced that 12 priests who were recently released from prison in Nicaragua will be living in Rome. The director of the Holy See press office told journalists, quote, I can confirm that the Holy See has been asked to receive 12 priests from Nicaragua who were recently released from prison. The Holy See has accepted, end quote. They landed in Rome yesterday. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is set to hold a press conference this morning at the U.S. Capitol. Republicans have been meeting behind closed doors trying to find a path forward to elect a new leader, but have so far come up short. Jordan has vowed to stay in the race despite failing twice earlier this week to secure the speakership. The chamber is unable to move any legislation until a speaker is elected. Jordan told reporters yesterday that Republican members decided against voting on a resolution to empower interim Speaker Patrick McHenry to take on the Speaker's role until January. The well over a month-long United Auto Workers strike rolls on as Ford Motor Company announces more layoffs. Trey Thomas reports. The automaker says an additional 150 workers have been temporarily laid off. There has been little reported progress in negotiations with the big three automakers. Supplies of some of the most popular vehicle models are starting to shrink. I'm Trey Thomas. And in MLB playoff action, a pair of exciting championship series games yesterday. The Astros evened up the ALCS with a dominant 10-3 win over the Texas Rangers in Game 4 at Globe Life Field. In Phoenix, meanwhile, the Arizona Diamondbacks are on the board now in the NLCS. Arizona won Game 3 of the Best of 7 series, 2-1 to one over the Phillies in walk-off fashion from Chase Field. Both series continue today. Yeah, exciting stuff. I got to see a little bit of the, the Rangers-Astros at the very end of the day. Yeah. If, uh, when well, I you're came on back to my Central Time the, now. After the banquet, yeah, I'm on Central yeah. Time, at least for the 
the rest of the morning. But uh, I did talk to some of the folks at the Quest in Atlanta, and they are, uh, you know, licking wounds. Poor Braves, yeah. poor Braves fans, you know. But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I think uh, Dave Savage came up to visit you from the Quest he this did. summer, and the he Braves did. were in a v- much higher spirits at the time. Well, of course, much higher. I think much they were in much higher spirits until about a week ago. Yeah, I think they had the best record in baseball at that point. So, well, you know, baseball is a uh, a tricky game. Indeed. It's a tricky game. Indeed. Well, we thank you for joining us on this Friday. It is the 20th of October. It's eight minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Dina Dwyer Owens, former co-chair of Neighborly. She's an author and a speaker. You can get her Create Your Culture and Your Better Future workbooks at dinadwyerowens.com. Dina, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we talk to you a lot about workplace values and modeling through leadership, um, you know, ways to, uh, you know, to, to live virtue and values in your, you know, corporate settings. But this is something that can be done from well, from the family level up through school before you ever get into your career. And you've been talking about this at the school level, the high school level specifically. I wonder how you've been involved with this. Well, I must admit, I was very excited when I first met with our pastor, Father Ryan Higdon, and he he was taking leadership of the school. And um, the first thing he talked about was the importance of having clarity of our values and living those values day in and day out. So music to my ears, Matt. Well, I would imagine so. Uh, and some people might say, well, are you kidding me? If you're running a Catholic school, it all kind of is laid out for you in the catechism. And that's true, but you kind of have to figure out if you're going to, as you say, create a culture. You know, what are some of the ways you're going to sort of organize these thoughts so that you can communicate them in the best way possible? So how do you go about doing that at the high school you're involved with? Well, and actually now it's it's K pre-K um, through oh, 12, wow. so it's it's amazing. And It started with, again, the leadership of our pastor identifying the four core values that he believed were going to be imperative, so joy, unity, relationship, and excellence. And as you and I have talked many times, with every value, there should be a set of accountability statements because, you know, joy can be defined in many different ways by different people. You know, we're talking about from kindergartners to the, the, the staff and the administration and, you know, how do they think about joy. So the next step he took was to get clarity with the help of his team, so kind of the core leadership team at the church and the school. So this isn't just at the school. This is something he's doing across both the school campus uh, and out into the community with the parents and the students as well as with the the church team. So he took those um, values and then created accountability statements. One of them that I really love under the area of relationship is we place people before paper. And I would add dot, 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 electronics. So, you know, this whole idea of being very specific when we talk about relationships, what do we mean? And he goes into great detail on that. It goes into we are children of God, not what we do or the sum of our worst failures. We pray before we act. We place communication before decisions or actions. So that was the first step, getting clarity of, okay, what are the statements to support that we are truly living up to these four values? It took a while, right? You first have to bring it to the the staff and the leadership team at the school before you ask the students to get involved and then take it out to the parent level. So now it's just amazing. I mean, it's at every level, regular meetings uh, with, with his, his team and faculty, in the classroom with the students. In fact, 
a newsletter just went out, so it's highlighted in their weekly newsletters. A newsletter just came out this morning, hit my inbox, and I thought, perfect timing, uh, around the value of joy. And the first um, accountability statement is we believe that knowing Christ is contagious and the source of our joy. And the newsletter talked about a group of middle school students who kept asking um, their teacher, in this case, a Dominican sister of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, Sister uh, Maria Francisco, when can we go pray for 40 Days for Life at Planned Parenthood? Kept asking her and asking her. Finally, she got permission, so the leadership of the school was in agreement, as well as the parents. And so after school one day last week, they went and prayed in front of Planned Parenthood. This is a result of the kids understanding the importance of these values. Well, and as you're saying that, it's also understanding how these things relate to each other, because it's interesting that you would talk about that in the concept of joy, right? Because some people would say, well, this is a horrible situation uh, that is happening in our society, right? Uh, the, the taking of innocent unborn life. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who enter into those dialogues, those conversations by talking about all the horrible things that are happening in the legislature, all the awful circumstances people are in. Uh, we know that it's not joy that we see on the faces that of the people who are walking into that, but we do know that life is beautiful, right? We do know that life is a gift, that there is joy that comes from cultivating and nurturing life. And so that principle is in play here, even in this kind of a dark situation. And for kids to get that, that's the incredible part. So for the kids to think that there's going to be joy as a result of them going and praying for these these women and you know, the fathers, too, and these babies. It's just incredible. These are middle schoolers. I mean, we're talking about seventh and eighth graders. Yeah, well, you have some other uh, points. And again, you mentioned the core value categories of relationship, joy, unity, and excellence. All these have kind of like secular corollaries um, where you could have absolutely nothing to do with Christianity or Catholicism, and you could still kind of have relationship as a value and joy and unity and excellence. But some of these get to that extra level because of our grounding in Christ. So, for instance, um, we believe that sharing our gifts and struggles lead to health and holiness. If you're in a secular workplace, sometimes sharing your struggles leads to uh, you never getting promoted, <laughs> right? Or sharing your struggles leads to uh, you being stigmatized or a liability. Whereas if you're seeing this as the body of Christ, suddenly you're in a family, you're in a community, and we work to strengthen the parts of us who are weak. We work to support the parts of us that are falling down. I mean, this is a completely different perspective on a question like unity. It is. And, and when you think about this being indoctrinated into these children at such an early age, when they go on to whatever career path they might follow, these will be instilled in them. You know, this is stuff that, especially in the very early ages, when you're thinking about the elementary age kids, if these kids are really adopting these and believing in these when it gets to their career. If they're part of a career, um, an organization that doesn't believe or support this, then move on to the next place or help to help that leadership of that particular corporation um, understand the importance of this. I, I love this one too, Matt, on unity. It says, we believe that gossip and yeah, negativity gonna... wounds heart and kills mission. I was going to ask it's... you about that one. How often have oh. you seen that one play out in corporate America? It's, it, it is just a killer. And, you know, when we think about, I, I think about this when I go to confession, of course, you know, we shall not kill. And, you know, when I was a kid, I thought kill meant kill, you know, like murder somebody, when in fact we can kill people with our words. And there's so much pain that's created today, you know, social media and 
it's so much worse probably than when, when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid. So this is such a critical one. And, and I remember Father Ryan Higdon just saying, I will not tolerate gossip. So, you know, he will sit down and have a conversation with somebody, let's say a staff member, if there's been gossip going on in the office. He will have a direct conversation about it with, with prayer and with love. But if it happens again, that person will no longer be part of the organization. Of course, you can find Dina's Create Your Culture and uh, Your Better Future workbooks at dinadwireowens.com. Always appreciate you, Dina. Always uh, enjoy you know, helping you remind us of like what we ought to really be about as we head out into the world today. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Matt. Keep up the God work. I'll do my best. You do the same. We've got headlines coming up with Hannah Mitchell right after the break. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. Adam Bly and I invite you to join us as we tackle the spirit world on EWTN Radio. Adam has assisted at thousands of solemn exorcisms and resolutions of hauntings. He also reaches out to educate people on the paranormal and the occult in our culture. Join us tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern for the spirit world on EWTN Radio. Didn't see Debbie this week, but I did see Jerry. Nice. How's yeah. Jerry doing? Got to, he's, 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 he's pretty well. Looks like it. Good. Got to talk to him for a couple minutes. Good to see Jerry. That's awesome. It's 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. President Biden last night addressed the nation, appealing to Americans for support in both wars in Israel and Ukraine. The patriarchs of the Holy Land have expressed solidarity with the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem in the wake of the bombing of an Anglican-run hospital this week in Gaza. And the Holy See has announced that 12 priests who were recently released from prison in Nicaragua will be living in Rome. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show and Anna Mitchell. Uh, one of the things they do here at the radio conference is they pass out the awards mm-hmm. for the uh, every every time somebody hits like a five, a multiple of five, that's when they get the awards. So right, we're right. due for one here in a couple of years. Um, uh, I have with- our 
20th anniversary one. Okay, so just next will be off camera here. Right. So uh, when if that happened, I had happens, a little more time. Gotta, I'd bring it over. We gotta we gotta bring the whole the whole operation down here. But uh, you know, the first recipients of the five year award were Who? they're people you know. It was uh, some folks from Texas. Do you, are, was it Armor of God Radio? It was Armor of I was going to see oh if you my could guess gosh. it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Tom and Anne-Marie McNew. Tom and Anne-Marie, and they had a couple of uh, uh, you know other folks come up from tech. They were the first recipient. I was like, hey. That is right. fantastic Good job. Five news. years. I feel like they went on the air like yesterday. I know. Well, man, they others. are workers in the Lord's Vineyard down there in Fort Hood. They're doing Fort cool Hood. things. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. And uh, you know who they set me with uh, for dinner? They put me by Father Mitch. Are you serious? You get to so sit with Father my Mitch? my food while listening to him talk about eating kangaroo. So, yeah. Oh, kangaroo. Good. I was going to ask. Mm. Neat. Packs a punch. Starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. The pursuit of happiness is part of our American tradition, but it may come as a surprise that happiness is also part of the tradition in the Psalms. The very first Psalm, for example, begins, Happy are those who do not walk in the way of the wicked. And continuing this theme, a psalm later in the Psalter, 119, the longest of the psalms in the Bible, begins, Happy are those whose way is blameless. Other psalms give us some insight into just how we might make our way happy. Psalm 32, Happy is the one whose sins are forgiven. And Psalms 112 and 128, Happy are those who fear the Lord. If we look at these psalms that begin with appeals for happiness, we get an idea of the prescription for happiness. It entails walking blamelessly with God, fearing the Lord, and being attentive to those in need. So if we're not happy on a given day, let's turn to the prescription offered to us in the Psalter. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Sister Alicia Torres from the National Eucharistic Revival Team. Sister, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So there are a lot of things that I'd like to do with my life that are probably not super practical, but the idea of being a perpetual pilgrim seems pretty awesome. If I could just, like throw everything out the door and do this, I would, but I can't. <laughs> but some people are being invited to entertain the idea, at least for now. Tell us about it. Absolutely, yeah. So the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage, which will be kicking off next May 2024 and converging from four locations across the country in Indianapolis, 
for the National Eucharistic Congress next July. We just opened the application process for our perpetual pilgrims. And so this is an opportunity that's specifically inviting young adults in our country to prayerfully discern if God is inviting them to be on one of the four teams as a core member to walk the pilgrimage route with our Eucharistic Lord. All right. So what this implies then is that there are a lot of us who can participate along the way and not have to worry about walking the whole thing because these perpetual pilgrims have got our back. (laughs) Well, (laughs) yeah, they're going to hold up the course of this beautiful public witness of our Eucharistic faith and devotion. And along each route, there will be major events for all of the church to participate in. So, right, this is not just for the select groups that are going to be accompanying our Lord with chaplains, religious sisters, but rather it is for the whole church to participate in. Well, this is great because there are a lot of people who would love to do a piece of this, but they've also got jobs and kids, right? Or they are themselves kids who go to actual schools and can't just, (laughs) you know, throw everything out the door, but love being parts of these kinds of things. So you mentioned that these are, uh, you know, converging from sort of four compass points in the U.S. Where's each one of these starting, and what are the paths kind of like? Yeah, so each path is set out by the local team that's helping to organize it, and those are already organized. So we have four routes. The Marion route is starting at the headwaters of the Mississippi at Lake Itasca in Minnesota, and then on the East Coast, we have the St. Elizabeth Ann Seton route that starts in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, And then down south, we have the St. Juan Diego route, which starts in Brownsville, Texas. And then out west, we have the St. Junipero Serra route, which starts in San Francisco, California. So we have a great partnership with the Modern Catholic Pilgrim Company, and their team has been working really hard with dioceses along these routes to develop a beautiful opportunity for pilgrimage, for Eucharist devotion and worship, that the whole church can really engage in alongside our perpetual pilgrims. All right, so I imagine that uh, there's some there's some overlap and some non-overlap here. Okay, so if you're going to be walking uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles, then probably this is not something that people who have uh, you know retired or in their 70s can do. Now, I've met some people who could. This is probably going to need some younger legs with more stamina, so we're probably looking at some college kids and young adults uh, maybe who are not as tied to familial responsibilities yet, which means that I'm guessing we're probably going to have to do some sponsoring of these people, right? <laughs> right. So we are specifically recruiting 19 to 29-year-olds to serve on the core team with our chaplains. Where We have some religious communities that are um, getting some of their sisters ready to be part of the pilgrimage along different parts of the route. But our core team, our young adults, they will be going through a spiritual formation program. They'll be going through a training program to help them be ready to walk 10 to 15 miles a day. And then they're also going to be trained in stewardship to help them do fundraising as well for this really profound opportunity to live their baptismal vocation as witnesses and participants in the mission of Christ. So I have a hundred practical questions for you, but I'll ask just a couple of them. Uh, One is, you, you mentioned the routes are set out. So... Do, uh, can people like find these so they can figure out if, if the pilgrimage is coming anywhere near them so they can pick up a few miles uh, while it's absolutely. in town? Absolutely. We've had our website live for a few months now, eucharisticpilgrimage.org. And right on the main page, you can get access to the different routes. And as we get closer to the launch of the pilgrimage, 
more and more of those, what I noted as public events along the way will also be posted. So there will be public masses, there will be times of adoration. The pilgrims will be sharing their testimonies along the way with the faithful to help inspire their own Eucharistic faith and devotion. We'll have the chaplains preaching at different locations. Some of our National Eucharistic preachers will also be a lot involved in some of the preaching along the route. So the, the plans are very much coming together for all of this, and they will be available on our website um, as we get ready for the launch in May. So EucharisticPilgrimage.org literally has the answer to any question you can imagine. So EucharisticPilgrimage.org, and I'm just looking at the one that's getting closest to me, which is going to be the Seton route. Mm. And uh, I'm thinking that that might be something that I got to try and figure out how to how to make Anna Mitchell cover me for a day or so, so I can go out there <laughs> or something. Sure. I think it'd be great to do. I know that uh, the Seton route it shows that you're going to be uh, going from New Haven through Manhattan down through Philadelphia, where you've got the um, shrines of John Newman and Catherine Drexel, down through Baltimore and DC. Mm-hmm. That's where I might try and hang out with you all, and then mm-hmm. Franciscan. University, and then all the way over to Indiana. Now, the big long one is the Sarah one. That one's just a straight line from California to Indiana. Now, that one would be fun. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's something unique about every one of the routes. And our country is so unique and diverse and beautiful, Matt. And I think that, you know, when we consider our Catholic faith, you know, we are one holy Catholic universal. And there's a beauty to that universality. And I think this pilgrimage is really going to celebrate that and bring Christ to the public, to the streets, in a new way. Well, EucharisticPilgrimage.org is where you can find out how to be a part of that, especially if you got those young legs and want to be one of those perpetual pilgrims. Sister Alicia, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. God bless. And if you end up being a perpetual pilgrim, you should let us know, because uh, I would like to check in with you at some point. Maybe get you to do a live radio update from, from the pilgrimage path. So check it out at sunrisemorningshow.com. Hit us with a note. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. President Biden last night addressed the nation appealing to Americans for support in the wars in Israel and Ukraine. We're facing an inflection point in history. One of those moments where the decisions we make today are going to determine the future for decades to come. Biden argued support for both Israel and Ukraine is key to national security as he prepares to ask for congressional aid. He said that American leadership is what holds the world together and added both Hamas and Vladimir Putin represent different threats but want to, quote, annihilate a neighboring democracy. But he also appealed for restraint. So I caution the government of Israel not to be blinded by rage. And here in America, let us not forget who we are. We reject all forms, all forms of hate. Biden added that there is no higher priority than getting the hostages held by Hamas back home. The president plans to send Congress a a supplemental funding request today, which will reportedly total $100 billion combined in aid for Israel and for Ukraine. The patriarchs of the Holy Land are expressing their solidarity with the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem in the wake of the bombing this week of an Anglican-run hospital which killed hundreds. They said, we unequivocally declare this atrocity as an egregious crime, one demanding the severest censure and international accountability. We implore the global community to embrace its sacred duty 
to shield civilians and to ensure that such heinous transgressions are never again permitted. Preliminary U.S. intelligence has indicated that the rockets originated in Palestinian territory. Archbishop Gabriela Kacha spoke this week at the first committee of the U.N. General Assembly, urging on behalf of the Holy See renewed efforts to advance nuclear disarmament. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Since 2010, periodic talks for the review of the landmark 1970 Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons have stalled as international tensions have increased. This poses significant risks for the global non-proliferation regime, with some states increasing their interest in acquiring nuclear weapons. In his statement, Archbishop Kacha expressed the Holy See's disappointment at the increased levels of polarization and mistrust at the first session of the Preparatory Commission for the 11th Review Conference on the Treaty, due to take place in 2026. At a time when flexibility is most needed, the lack of a chair's summary will be detrimental in working towards consensus, he said. The Vatican Permanent Observer therefore called on states' parties to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty to work to reverse the current downward spiral of arms control and disarmament policies. Furthermore, Archbishop Kacha relayed the Holy See's unequivocal condemnation of all rhetoric that threatens the use of nuclear weapons and of nuclear explosive testing. The Vatican representative concluded his intervention by saying that despite the dark clouds of growing conflict and escalatory rhetoric, there is ample space for hope. In this regard, he said the Holy See looks forward to the convening of the second meeting of states' parties of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. It also welcomes the deliberations of the MPT Working Group on further strengthening the review process. I am Lisa Zengarini. The Holy See has announced that 12 priests who were recently released from prison in Nicaragua will be living in Rome now. The director of the Holy See press office told journalists, quote, I can confirm that the Holy See has been asked to receive 12 priests from Nicaragua who were recently released from prison. The Holy See has accepted, end quote. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is set to hold a press conference this morning at the U.S. Capitol. Republicans have been meeting behind closed doors trying to find a path forward to elect a new leader, but so far have not come to a conclusion. Jordan has vowed to stay in the race despite failing twice earlier this week to secure the speakership. The chamber has since been unable to move any legislation. That's the news. It's 35 minutes past the Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Does he who received communion in mortal sin receive the body and blood of Christ? He who receives communion in mortal sin receives the body and blood of Christ, but he does not receive grace, and he commits a great sacrilege. Who is the first to make a bad communion? Well, that would be Judas. There, when he already had planned to betray our Lord, he received communion. And so, when somebody receives our Lord in a state of sin, as St. Paul says, it leads to their condemnation. How many people receive communion in a state of mortal sin? It should be a great sadness to our souls how often this happens and how it offends our Lord and it brings to them condemnation. Let us then never receive communion without having gone to confession first so that we might not fool ourselves or fool others because ultimately we can never fool God. And if we try to fool him, we won't be able to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It's 37 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on a Friday morning. Happy Friday, everybody. We made it to the end of the week. Well done. Sunrise Morning Show legal and political analyst Ken Craycraft is back with us now. He's a professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. He writes for the Catholic Telegraph and for our Sunday Visitor, among other publications. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Annie. How are you? I am doing fine, thank you, and always, always happy to take up the excuse to talk about Bob Dylan music, and we will be doing so today. I know you're, you, you are as well. Uh, we're going to be using his song, Dignity, to frame our discussion. Set this one up for us. So uh, October, of course, is Respect Life Month, and it's uh, it's been Respect Life Month since 1973. Uh, in the wake of Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops decided to set aside a month uh, for uh, the uh, observation of the Respect for Life. And, of course, the first Sunday of October is Respect Life Sunday. As I think about respect for life, we have to think about it. We, we think about it primarily in this context, of course, in, uh, in abortion, in the abortion context. And of course, uh, we've talked that you've talked to other people and you've talked to me about, uh, the, the very big referendum coming up in Ohio, uh, to change the Ohio Constitution to enshrine abortion as a right. This year's, um, this year's theme from the USCCB for Respect Life Month is radical solidarity. And, of course, solidarity is one of the four pillars of Catholic social doctrine, along with subsidiarity, common good, and, uh, and dignity. And so what I wrote in Our Sunday Visitor, I took the opportunity to write about radical solidarity in the context of human dignity, because dignity is always the first consideration, because it lays the foundation for the other three. We really, it doesn't really make sense, or we don't have the context, I should say, 
to talk about solidarity, subsidiarity, and common good if we haven't first established that the human person is unique, unique among God's creatures, made in his image and likeness, and therefore standing uh, apart from the other animals and, the other, and all of the rest of creation. Uh, the, all of the rest of creation, of course, is ordered toward the good of the, and the flourishing of the human person. The human person is the only uh, creature that God made for its own sake. And so um, the, this inherent dignity is an essential aspect, but, un, but unfortunately, and, and as the USCCB said, the Church's entire social doctrine is guided by the fundamental principle that every human life has innate dignity. Mm. But the question that becomes, what is dignity? And that's, yeah. and that's the starting point for, for the piece that I wrote. Well, I was going to say there might be some people who say, well, okay, Ken, that sounds great, but what about those people who have no dignity? Yeah, and, and you know, this is, this, obviously, this begs an important question, and, but unfortunately, it's a question that's begged broadly, especially in our secular society, because when they say that, what they mean is, what about people who don't have some kind of arbitrary list of, of attributes uh, or characteristics, absent of which one or more of them or some combination of them, we say those people don't have dignity or they aren't, aren't dignified. So, so we think that, that if, if a person doesn't have, meet a, a certain uh, roster of, of physiological or emotional or cognitive or mental or psychiatric attributes, then, then that person doesn't have dignity, or financial, or financial, or uh, immigration status, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. You know, uh, 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 what would be the word incarceration status? Yeah. Uh, all kinds of things. And so those persons don't have dignity or drug addiction. We we we've heard recently that Canada Canada seems like they just want to kill everybody. Yeah. Now they want drug addicts to be able to commit uh, suicide and have assisted suicide. So so drug add drug addicts to the list. Um, and of course. That's just false. The, we understand that human dignity is inherent in the human person. Dignity is inherent in the human person and therefore cannot be alienated. I uh, know this is a hard teaching for some because that means the most vicious criminals have the same dignity as the most pious saints because we cannot alienate that dignity. And so I use a Bob Dylan song called Dignity as a way of sort of exploring that idea because what Dylan does is he, he writes a song and he creates a character who goes around in, in, in multiple vignettes and illustrations looking for dignity, but he never finds it precisely because he's looking for dignity as a set of attributes, and he can't find those attributes, and so he, he wonders whether dignity can be found. So one of the lyrics is, searching high, searching low, searching everywhere I go, asking the cops wherever I go, have you seen dignity? And so he creates this sort of hilarious scene in which every, he's, this guy's going all over the place, talking to different people and asking different, uh, asking different questions about dignity, and, and, and he can never find it. Yeah. And the reason that he can never find it is that he's looking, peripher- looking for peripheral traits or attributes rather than the inherent quality of the human person. Yeah. But in another lyric, he says, sick man looking for the doctor's cure, looking at his hands for the lines that were and into every masterpiece of literature for dignity, mm. but he can't find it. And the reason that he can't find it, Annie, is because he's looking for attributes. He's not looking for the inherent dignity of the human person made in the image and likeness of God. Well, it's no wonder he can't find it. I mean, any of us, none, not one of us is going to check off exactly. all the boxes. That's exactly right, and and that's, that's exactly the point. And I think that's the point that Dylan is making, because his... His, the character in his song can't find it, but the point that he's making is 
the character can't find it because he's looking in the wrong place or he's looking in the wrong way or he doesn't understand what dignity is. Um, and you're exactly right, Annie. You know, uh, on October 10th, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops also started a novena, which, of course, just recently ended uh, in honor of um, uh, World Mental Health Day, which was October 10th. Yeah. And so in, in October, we're also thinking about mental health and, and mental stability. And, and I, I tell my students, and I say this somewhat glibly, and I, 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 I don't want it to be taken too seriously, but I use it just sort of to illustrate how we need to be sensitive even to mental health and psychiatric disorders, because what I say is, it's consistent with what you just said, we're really all on the same continuum of, of mental disorder. You know, most of us are, are pretty low on that continuum and pretty well adjusted, but, but, but many are not. But it's the same continuum, Manny. It's not as though there's a qualitative difference between a person with mental illness and me. There's a qualitative difference because I have my own struggles and my own uh, difficulties and my own sins. And, and we have to understand that everybody is on that continuum, and, and you can't get off of it no matter what you do, no matter what cards you're dealt. And that continuum is one of, uh, that, that is all, all along the continuum is human dignity. And we don't lose that dignity by losing some attributes that other people think constitute dignity. And the way this works, of course, is we, we find ourselves, if a person doesn't have that dignity, and we see this in assisted suicide movements, then, then we encourage them to take their own lives because their lives are not dignified anymore, or they don't have what we call the quality of life. Uh, and and that's, that's obviously a false notion of, of what it means to be a human person. And therefore, we're unable to affirm, as the bishops has, have called us to do in October, that radical solidarity, which begins with the dignity of all human persons. And therefore, every, every person is me, and, and, you, and I am every person in that sense. And that's what radical solidarity is. We recognize the natural community of the human person, and we act, recognize the natural dignity of the human person. What does this have to do with abortion, Ken? Well, it has to do with abortion because we need to change our paradigm from one of the mother and the, uh, and the unborn child uh, having claims against each other and being enemies of one another to being part of that same continuum, that same community, because that dignity is created the moment that new human being is created. Again, we think about the age of gestation as merely chronological terms, not as qualitative ones. So a, a zygote is an embryo, is a, is a, 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 is a baby. Is a, is a toddler, is a teenager, is an adult. And the, the embryo and the, uh, and, the, and the zygote have the same dignity as you and I do. And the mother and the child, and we need to start, we need to change our paradigm of thinking, Annie, so that we understand that the mother and the child are on this same continuum and that they share in the radical solidarity with the rest of us. Unfortunately, we have this mindset in the United States and other places that the mother and child are enemies of one another with claims against one another. And, of course, if that's the case, then the stronger the person with the stronger claim or the person with the stronger with the ability is going to win out over the one that doesn't. That's a fundamentally wrong way to think about that relationship between mother and daughter. And if we think about it in terms of radical solidarity and dignity, then we're going to start winning the argument, the moral argument uh, about abortion. Absolutely. We need to pray for the medical community to uh, have that same baseline of thought on human dignity. We've been talking to Ken Craycraft. You can read his piece at our Sunday Visitor. Ken, thank you. Thank you, Annie. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. All right. It's 13 till Father Hezekiah Carnazzo joins us next.
Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Comboni, as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Each week on The World Over, Raymond Arroyo challenges listeners and viewers with important political and cultural reporting and analysis of a wide variety of topics of interest to Catholics and people of faith. And you can get news from The World Over in your inbox every week. It's easy. Visit EWTN.com and click subscribe. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Our good friend Rose Sweet is back later today on Catholic Answers Live. Join us. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture here to preview the readings for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time this weekend. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's such a blessing to be with you and your listeners today. It is a blessing to have you back. And man, do we have some cool readings for this weekend, uh, starting off with the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 45. And I'm just going to read the first couple of lines that we'll hear. It says, thus says the Lord to his anointed Cyrus, whose right hand I grasp, subduing nations before him and making kings run in his service, opening doors before him and leaving the gates unbarred. Who's Cyrus, Father? Cyrus is a very important figure in the Old Testament. It's one of those unique and special moments in which God acts in and through those who would normally be considered enemies of God. The pagan foreign king Cyrus, in this case, is led to free Israel from the Babylonian captivity after 70 years of servitude. And imagine, well, imagine Pharaoh doing that, right? Remember, I mean, Pharaoh releases Israel, and now another king does the same thing after the Babylonian exile, sending God's people back to the Promised Land to rebuild the temple. What's really amazing about this is it appears as though Cyrus has had a complete and absolute total conversion The Holy Spirit has descended upon him, and God even calls him his anointed one, which literally is Messiah. 
the, the Messiah Cyrus and, and begins what will, I guess you could say, end or come to its culmination in the coming of the true Messiah when Jesus comes as born of the Virgin Mary. Well, this is so interesting, isn't it, Father? Because in this prophecy from Isaiah, the Lord is is speaking to Cyrus and saying, you had no idea who I was, and yet I still acted through you. What a, what a mm-hmm. lesson for all of us. It's a huge lesson for all of us that in our own lives that God can act through us, but also even, and maybe more importantly, at this moment in history, in the political world, even within the Church, where we see so much disruption, so many people apparently aiming at the destruction of Christianity, and yet God is able to work miracles even through them. And so we should never fear of the providence of God. His plan will be fulfilled. It will not be thwarted. And even though it might appear to humanize it, think about Israel in Babylon, people of God in Babylon, no hope, 70 years. A generation had passed. No one remembered the whole, their, their home. Maybe they heard stories as children, but that was it. And all of a sudden, God does this amazing miracle in the midst of his people. It's incredible. Now we move on to the gospel reading for this weekend from Matthew 22. And we hear the Pharisees and the Herodians send their disciples to Jesus now asking him, trying to entrap him, they say, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Now, Father, can you talk about why they thought this would entrap Jesus, and then how does Jesus respond? Yeah, I mean, because if Jesus is the true Messiah, then they should not be paying taxes to a foreign government. And this is the whole question when Jesus comes. Is he the Messiah? Is he going to free the people from the foreign oppression of the Romans? And so they try to entrap Jesus to say, don't pay the tax, in which he's going to be arrested by the Romans, or do pay the tax, which is going to prove he's not the Messiah. So, of course, he's smarter than all of them, because we have to read this passage in context. It, it, Jesus had just the day before overturned the money changer tables. Well, what are the money changer tables in the temple for? Well, to do just that. You couldn't walk into the temple precincts with foreign money, with the image of Caesar on the coin. And so in order to go into the temple to, to, to worship, the people of God would change their money over to temple money. And here Jesus calls them out, show me a coin. And here the self-righteous Pharisees pull out a coin from their pocket, and what's inside? It's a coin from Caesar. They didn't even follow their own rules about the money changers, and, and here they were putting a burden upon the people and trying to entrap Jesus. Jesus turns the tables on them and calls them out for who they are, exposes them to the people. And he asks, what image is on that coin? And of course, it's Caesar, as you were just saying. And Jesus says, then repay to Caesar what belongs to mm. Caesar and to God what belongs to to God. Exactly. How did the Church Fathers reflect on this, Father? Well, the image on the coin is ultimately not of Caesar, because Caesar is made in the image of God. Mm. So ultimately, all that is given to Caesar must be returned to the one who gave us all good things. But ultimately, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, who have turned their back on their relationship with God and are seeking his destruction. And so he calls them out for it. He says, look, 
you guys are playing the game here. You're not doing the very thing that you're calling the faithful to, and that is to worship the one true God and give yourself the true image and likeness of God that is imprinted upon your heart to the one who made you. Instead, you're doing back deals with the Herodians. You've got Caesar in your pocket. So this entire scene is one of deceit by the Pharisees, and Jesus calls them out for it. And so then when we bring this home to ourselves, knowing all of the context here, Father, what, what do we take away from this? Well, I, in many ways you can, you can bring these, the Old Testament text from Second Chronicles, and I would encourage your listeners to go back and read Second Chronicles chapter 36 and the first, the first chapter of Ezra, which is a, those are two sides of the page, if you will, in your Bible. You can read this very quickly, the story of Cyrus. Number one for us, is let's not play the same game as the Pharisees were playing. As having two faces, two sides, one that says we're dedicated to the Lord outwardly as the Pharisees did, and yet in our hearts, in our pockets, if you will, there's another allegiance that we have that really is what is driving our life. We cannot do this. It's not the way to follow Christ. That's, that's number one. Number two, in an, again, applying this to ourselves, remember what the Lord has done in the past and how He's worked through uh, the, the most unlikely of candidates. And do we think the Lord is not going to act in our lives in a similar way? The Lord is present. Have no fear. No matter how bad things look out there, the Lord's in control. He's going to bring about the freedom of His people. He's going to bring about the true worship of God. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. You can find the Institute of Catholic Culture linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for today. Got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. As we continue on this Friday, the 20th of October, let's pray St. Thomas More's prayer for good humor in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Grant me, O Lord, a good digestion and also something to digest. Grant me a healthy body and the necessary good humor to maintain it. Grant me a simple soul that knows to treasure all that is good and does not frighten easily at the sight of evil, but rather finds the means to put things back in their place. Give me a soul that knows not boredom, grumblings, sighs, and laments, nor excess of stress because of that obstructing thing called I. Grant me, O Lord, a sense of good humor. Allow me the grace to be able to take a joke, to discover in life a bit of joy, and to be able to share it with others. Amen. St. Thomas More, pray for us. Hope that uh, helps you a little bit with having a sense of humor in weird situations because life is indeed a little weird. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has our video stream up and running. You can access that in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo is looking at his book, A God Who Questions. Uh, we'll dive into that a little bit this morning. Dr. Jeffrey Morrow from Ascension Press's Catholic Guide to the Old Testament is uh, going through book by book with us, and today we're on the book of Nehemiah. 
Bobby Schindler will join us from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network as well. Also, Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston to preview the Sunday Mass readings. You just heard Father Hezekiah give a bit of a take on him. It's kind of nice to have a few different angles from priests who've got to preach on these things over the weekend and uh, get us a little bit ready so we have you know, kind of a, a better headspace when we hear these things proclaimed in the Liturgy of the Word. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. President Biden is appealing to American citizens for support in the wars in Israel and in Ukraine. During a primetime address to the nation yesterday, Biden argued that support for those two nations is key to national security as he prepares to ask for congressional aid. He said American leadership is what holds the world together and added both Hamas and Vladimir Putin represent different threats, but want to annihilate a neighboring democracy. Biden added there is no higher priority than getting the hostages held by Hamas back home. The patriarchs of the Holy Land have expressed solidarity with the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem in the wake of the bombing of an Anglican-run hospital this week, which killed hundreds. They said, quote, we unequivocally declare that this atrocity as an egregious crime, one demanding the severest censure and international accountability. We implore the global community, they say, to embrace its sacred duty to shield civilians and to ensure that such heinous transgressions are never again permitted, end quote. Archbishop Gabriela Cacha spoke this week at the first committee of the U.N. General Assembly, urging on behalf of the Holy See renewed efforts to advance nuclear disarmament. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Since 2010, periodic talks for the review of the landmark 1970 Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons have stalled as international tensions have increased. This poses significant risks for the global non-proliferation regime, with some states increasing their interest in acquiring nuclear weapons. In his statement, Archbishop Kacha expressed the Holy See's disappointment at the increased levels of polarization and mistrust at the first session of the Preparatory Commission for the 11th Review Conference on the Treaty, due to take place in 2026. At a time when flexibility is most needed, the lack of a chair's summary will be detrimental in working towards consensus, he said. The Vatican Permanent Observer therefore called on states' parties to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty to work to reverse the current downward spiral of arms control and disarmament policies. Furthermore, Archbishop Kacha relayed the Holy See's unequivocal condemnation of all rhetoric that threatens the use of nuclear weapons and of nuclear explosive testing. The Vatican representative concluded his intervention by saying that Despite the dark clouds of growing conflict and escalatory rhetoric, there is ample space for hope. In this regard, he said the Holy See looks forward to the convening of the second meeting of states' parties of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. It also welcomes the deliberations of the MPT Working Group on further strengthening the review process. I am Lisa Zingarini. The Holy See has announced 12 priests who were recently released from prison in Nicaragua will be living in Rome now. 
Holy See press director told journalists yesterday that he could confirm the Holy See was asked to receive the priests who were recently released from prison and the Holy See has accepted. They landed in Rome yesterday. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is set to hold a press conference this morning at the U.S. Capitol. Republicans have been meeting behind closed doors trying to find a path forward to elect a new speaker, but so far have come up short. The chamber is unable to move any legislation until a speaker is elected, and Jordan told reporters yesterday that Republican members decided against voting on a resolution to empower interim speaker Patrick McHenry to take on the speaker's role until January. The well over a month-long United Auto Workers strike rolls on as Ford Motor Company announces more layoffs. Trey Thomas reports. The automaker says an additional 150 workers have been temporarily laid off. There has been little reported progress in negotiations with the big three automakers. Supplies of some of the most popular vehicle models are starting to shrink. I'm Trey Thomas. In MLB playoff action, a pair of exciting championship series games yesterday. The Astros evened up the ALCS with a dominant 10-3 win over the Texas Rangers in Game 4. In Phoenix, meanwhile, the Arizona Diamondbacks are on the board now in the NLCS after winning Game 3 of the Best of 7 series 2-1 over the Phillies in walk-off fashion from Chase Field. Both series continue today. And the greatest pop song in history, apparently, is I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. That according to a group of staff writers at Billboard as the music publication celebrates the 65th year of its Hot 100 chart. The staff compiled its top 500 songs based on what best defines pop music. Matt, can you guess what number two was? Number two? Yeah. Uh, Is it by the King of Pop? It's not. Uh, male or female? Both. Oh, uh, is it Marvin and Tammy? No. Is it Oh, that Dolly was a Kenny? great guess, though. No. Uh, Paul Lockman has it. He just got in my ear and guessed. Paul's got it. And he was right. Is it Fleetwood Mac? No. So what do we got? I... Dancing Queen. Oh, ABBA. ABBA. The palindrome. ABBA. You know, I, I, however Father Hezekiah would pronounce that. I, gotta, know, I was thinking about Whitney Whitney Houston last hour when you were talking with King Craycraft and uh, you were talking about dignity, and I was thinking, you know, Whitney actually has that lyric in The Greatest Love of All when she says, well, no matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Mm-hmm. But she's wrong when she says learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. It's a mixed bag with Whitney. A mixed bag. You gotta, you gotta throw some holy water on that. I mean, we are all made in the image and after the likeness of God. So if you learn to love yourself, you can learn to love God. Right? There's, where's Bill Donahue when you need him? You know, I mean, think about the gospel for this you know, weekend. Houston was a church Matt, girl long before Beyonce. Did you hear you Father Hezekiah when he was like, ultimately, the image imprinted on that coin was God's image because God's Caesar image because himself Caesar is made, made in the image and after the likeness of God. Like it or not. Indeed. It's nine past.
Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo with the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. He's host of the Church Life Today podcast, author of quite a few books, the one most pertinent to our discussion now, A God Who Questions, from our Sunday visitor, Dr. DeLorenzo. Good morning. Good morning, Annie. So today's question that we are going to be examining from our Lord Jesus Christ is from the Gospel of John when he asks, what do you seek? Set up this story for us. Well, this comes at the beginning of John's Gospel. Uh, there in the first chapter, two disciples of John the Baptist are or they hear from John the Baptist, the proclamation that this is the Lamb of God. And so they hear him say this, and they follow Jesus. And Jesus, knowing that they're following him, turns and asks, what do you seek? And then they respond to him, rabbi or teacher, where are you staying? And his response to them is, come and see. So I use this as the question, what do you seek in the first chapter of this book? Well, this is kind of a funny question, don't you think? I mean, it's like, isn't it obvious, Jesus? John the Baptist just called you the Lamb of God. And actually, I was looking. This is the second time that the disciples probably heard uh, John the Baptist say this because um, we hear about it just the verses prior to this as well. But it's like we're taking his word for it and we're following you. I mean, I think Jesus knows that, doesn't he? So what do you think he's getting at with this question? I suspect that... Many of Jesus' questions, including this one, are about getting to the underlying motive, the motivation that is actually driving this search. So in other words, I suppose we could hear him saying, among other things, what are you really looking for? Or what would you be willing to find? Or how far would you go? So what do you seek? I think is sort of a lure to draw them in. And of course, they ask him a question, almost the question they ask, which is an important question, where are you staying, which is comparable to the question, where are you from? Mm. Jesus's response to that is come and see. In other words, the response is draw closer, draw closer. Uh, it's not going to be settled on the terms that you think. Yeah. And in John, it says when they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. I mean, you think about that, Dr. De Lorenzo. I mean, what happened in those couple of hours that, you know, they go from calling him rabbi to calling him the Messiah? That's a great, that's a great question and a great insight. I think... It causes us or should cause us to pause and really marvel at what did they see, like you're saying, and what did they experience when they went to the place where he was staying? That's what he was looking for, So, or that's what they were looking for. So they, in that way, got an answer to their question, but it went far beyond what they were seeking. And how do we have a sense of that? Well, as you're rightly indicating they change from calling him rabbi to Messiah. And in fact, Andrew is so filled with zeal and joy that he runs to get his brother. That tells us that what they found when they followed him was likely more than they had expected to find. And it was the beginning of the transformation in them, their conversion from disciples of John the Baptist to disciples of Jesus. So how do you think this question can then be extended to all of us? I think that question comes to all of us 
each time that we are willing to turn towards Jesus, when we look to him for something. I think it's given back to us in every prayer that we offer and every uh, time that we set out in a new way or in an old way to find him or to draw closer to him or just to, if we've lost every other possibility or resource, to turn to him to ask for help. I think he turns to us and says, what do you seek? In other words, not to push us away, but to say or to insist to us that what you will find in me is not just what you are looking for. It is more than you are seeking and perhaps different than what you are seeking. But what will be here in the end is the fullness of life. And we who are the followers of him or the would-be followers of him must be changed in that pursuit to grow larger and more capacious to what he has to give us. I mean, it's such... A beautiful point that you make that Jesus is at what what are we really seeking and and this is what I have for you and when we accept that assuming we accept that as the Apostles did in in this particular story um, we can't keep it to ourselves we have to go and share it with others Indeed. And, you know, this particular question, I think, runs like a light red thread all the way through John's gospel. It comes up in a slightly different form two other times at the end of the gospel when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, whom do you seek? And then when Mary Magdalene encounters him outside the tomb on Easter morning, he asks that question again, whom do you seek? So that question, what are you looking for? Whom do you seek? Is there at the beginning and at the end? And it's a question about desire, but also a question about willingness and motives that Jesus turns back to us at all times. We're not meant to just be found by him. We're meant to encounter him. And who we are in that encounter is very much the question that he's asking us. And so how would you encourage folks to to continue to dive into this question and and really find our own answer to Jesus in this instance? I think part of that can be worked out in our encounter with Scripture. I think we all go to Scripture for different reasons at different times, and every time that we encounter Scripture, we should be willing to spend more time than we first were willing to in order to be in some ways disarmed of our own intentions or our own presuppositions or our own ideas of what is and what is not. In other words, we're to be encountered by the Word, by Jesus himself, in the words of Scripture, and that should stretch us and force us to move beyond who we already were. That means that I think we yield ourselves to his Word, and we allow him to speak to us as he will, not just as we want to hear him. Well, your prayer at the end of of this chapter in A God Who Questions is, My Lord and my God, if what I desire is not your will for me, then change my heart. And I don't mean to ask this in a cheeky way, but why is it that we need our hearts changed and we don't continue to try to change God's heart, so to speak? (laughs) Well, I suppose it has to do with what is truly good for us, that we have a habit, an entrenched habit of settling for too little and setting our hearts on the wrong things or on the right thing at the wrong time. And the Lord seeks to give us the right thing at the right time and to draw us into the fullness of life, not just to our ideas of what joy or happiness would be. He seeks to give us a share in his own divine life, which is the very first line of the catechism, by the way, that God in a plan of infinite goodness deigned to share his own divine life with us. And that is the only thing that God wishes to give us. 
And so we must be changed. Our will must be changed to desire that, which is what we pray also every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done. And allow my will, in other words, Lord, to be formed to yours. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo. You can find his book, A God Who Questions, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Coming up on 18 Past, we're back with headlines right after this. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Renowned Catholic literary scholar Joseph Pierce introduces you to the men and women behind history's greatest works of literature. You can hear The Authority with Joseph Pierce as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNRadio.net slash podcasts today. Twenty minutes past. Here's Anna with headlines. President Biden gave a primetime address to the nation last night asking for American citizens to support the wars in Israel and Ukraine. The patriarchs of the Holy Land have expressed their solidarity with the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem in the wake of the bombing of an Anglican-run hospital this week. And the Holy See has announced that 12 priests recently released from prison in Nicaragua are now living in Rome. Anna Mitchell, those people watching on the live stream noticed that I am, again, in a hotel room this last day of... Mm-hmm. And you just froze. Bourbon. You should, uh... You name a person. I'll tell you if I saw him. How's that? A person that we would, like, work with or, like, that's part of the network or does radio shows. You ask me, and I'll tell you if I saw him. Matt, we don't have I told you I saw this. Deborah Rice. Rich Jesse. Oh. He was there. So jealous you love anything pumpkin flavored and others well not so much but the mystic monks of wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee that's right their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available along with other normal flavors and when you purchase them after clicking the mystic monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com you earn us a commission while you're at our site pick up a sunrise morning show mug in our online store get a mug and link to mystic monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com
Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Remember, O most loving heart of Jesus, that they for whom I pray are those for whom you prayed so earnestly the night before your death. These are they to whom you look to continue with you in your sorrows when others forsake you, who share your griefs and have inherited your persecutions according to your word, that the servant is not greater than his Lord. Remember, O heart of Jesus, that they are the objects of the world's hatred and Satan's deadliest snares. Keep them then, O Jesus, in the safe citadel of your sacred heart, and there let them be sanctified in truth. May they be one with you and one among themselves, and grant that multitudes may be brought through their word to believe in you and love you. Amen. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. Go to ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament to pick up a copy for yourself, study along with us. And we're joined again by Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, one of the contributors to this guide. Good morning, Dr. Morrow. Good morning. It's great to be here. It is great to have you back. And we're getting a primer on the book of Nehemiah this time around. So we've moved on from the book of Ezra, but Ezra actually figures rather prominently in the book of Nehemiah, does he not? That's right. He's probably the main character. Well, why does he show up in the book of Nehemiah? Why is he the main character? So Nehemiah, well, they would both be the main characters. Nehemiah and Ezra are contemporaries, as well as the prophet Haggai and others, and so this is during the reign of the Persian king Artaxerxes, and all of this is about the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the city walls, including the temple. And so since Ezra is the high priest, he's going to be the focal point um, for the liturgy that they celebrate. Okay, now uh, let's talk more about those main events that, sure. that you were just mentioning there. Um, we, we talked about the temple in in the book of Ezra, and the walls of Jerusalem are a big deal in Nehemiah. That's right. So Nehemiah is a cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, and he becomes the governor, basically, of Judah. Hmm. So the people have come back. Um, leaders might remember that when the Assyrians wipe out the northern ten tribes, the two, Benjamin and um, Judah, are stuck in the south, as well as the Levites were not counted. So when they return from exile, they're known as the tribe of Judah, and that's where the term Jew and Jewish comes from. And so Nehemiah becomes their governor, and God tells him to rebuild the walls of the city. He wants the city rebuilt. And so Nehemiah petitions the king. The king asks, what does he want? And he stops, and he prays to God, and God tells Nehemiah exactly what to do. And so he spearheads the rebuilding of the of the city that had been destroyed by the Babylonians approximately 70 years earlier. This is a huge deal. It is, yeah. So 
Can you talk more then about how Ezra fits into the story at this point? Sure. Uh, one of the biggest things happen, that happens is Ezra discovers the Torah. He finds the law that they had lost. When the city gets destroyed, the they gets, lost the law. They lost the law. They lost wow. the Pentateuch, the first five books. They lost everything. They lost the altar. They lost the Ark of the Covenant, which Second Maccabees tells us Jeremiah hid in a cave. That's the only place that we hear about that in the Bible, in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. Uh, they lost everything. So when the siege took place, the Babylonians destroyed everything. So Ezra finds the law, and this really is, I think, the high point of the book, in chapters 8 and 9 especially, where you see this liturgy unfold. Um, and he had the law brought out, you have it then, Ezra reads from the Torah, and then he gives a comment, and then he sets up these schools to study, so they start to study the law. Um, to, to memorize it and to learn it by heart as best as they can. And they have a confession ritual, a public confession, and they offer sacrifices. It's very similar to what we'll see in not just Old Testament liturgy, but in New Testament liturgy of reading from the law, reading from the scriptures, confession of sin, and sacrifice, the Eucharist. Yeah, lots of uh, Lexio Divina going on in yeah. here. Um, talk about Ezra's prayer in this book. Oh, his prayer is really beautiful. So yeah. he prays on behalf of the people um, for, you know, to God. And so he does there's a public confession where he walks through an entire chapter, basically, chapter 9, where he confesses the sins of the people, and he begs God's mercy and prayers on behalf of the people. He stands really in the gap between God and the people as the priestly mediator, very much like Jesus. So uh, what are the the key, I guess you could say, themes, or, or what are the, the promises that the people of, of Israel, uh, the, the Jews, make to the Lord in this time with Ezra? So they promise fidelity to never again be unfaithful the way they had been before the Babylonian exile that triggered the destruction of the city. Uh, but I think, and the promise and the blessing for them, I think, is that this will become an image um, of what will come later. So Haggai, the prophet Haggai, will talk a little bit about the new, you know, the heavenly Jerusalem, if you will. And we see that in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. I really think that the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the city itself points forward to the coming of Christ in the new. And what we hear about it by the heavenly Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. And I think we can be encouraged that the liturgy we celebrate uh, that Jesus inaugurates at the Last Supper is, is not completely new. He's stepping into the history of Old Testament Israel, and he's transforming it from within. Yeah, that's, that's encouraging. It is encouraging, but it's not as great as it could be. No, it's not as great as it could be, and they're going to have more struggle. So the, the key, though, I think, is that it's pointing forward to something much greater at the end. Sure. Right. So, so the, the the key is that the the when he summons the residents of Jerusalem, they what they've done is not as big as what had been done under King Solomon. But that's okay, because in the end, God is going to build something much greater. But yeah, they're going to get uh, stopped again and again, and Herod, actually, Herod the Great is going to continue the work right before the time of Jesus, so that the temple that they start to rebuild actually never gets completed. It's destroyed in 70 A.D., uncompleted. We've been talking to Dr. Jeffrey Morrow, and uh, Doc, if... um... Well, if somebody's reading the book of Nehemiah, what themes would you encourage them to to have in mind? Trust in the Lord and faith of fidelity to his promises. 
can read more about it in A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. Ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament is where you can go to pick up a copy. Dr. Morrow, thank you so much. Thank you. You bet. Always happy to have you. And you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis at sonrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes for the day, and that is where you will find all the goods, if you will. Find the links, and then after the show, you can find podcasts, you can find the video stream, find it all, sonrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show, it's time for news. President Biden last night addressed the nation appealing to Americans for support in the wars in Israel and in Ukraine. We're facing an inflection point in history. One of those moments where the decisions we make today are going to determine the future for decades to come. Biden argued support for the two nations is key to our national security as he prepares to ask for congressional aid. He said American leadership is what holds the world together and added that both Hamas and Vladimir Putin represent different threats, but want to, quote, annihilate a neighboring democracy. He appealed for restraint. So I caution the government of Israel not to be blinded by rage. And here in America, let us not forget who we are. We reject all forms, all forms of hate. Biden added that there is no higher priority than getting the hostages held by Hamas back home. The president plans to send Congress a supplemental funding request today that will reportedly total $100 billion combined in aid for Israel and Ukraine. The patriarchs and heads of churches of the Holy Land have expressed solidarity with the Episcopal Diocese of Jerusalem in the wake of the bombing of an Anglican-run hospital earlier this week, which killed hundreds. They said the tragedy has left them steeped in sorrow. They said, we unequivocally declare this atrocity as an egregious crime, one demanding the severest censure and in international accountability. They said, we implore the global community to embrace its sacred duty to shield civilians and ensure that such heinous transgressions are never again permitted, end quote. Archbishop Gabriela Kacha spoke this week at the first committee of the U.N. General Assembly, urging on behalf of the Holy See renewed efforts to advance nuclear disarmament. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Since 2010, periodic talks for the review of the landmark 1970 Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons have stalled as international tensions have increased. This poses significant risks for the global non-proliferation regime, with some states increasing their interest in acquiring nuclear weapons. In his statement, Archbishop Kacha expressed the Holy See's disappointment at the increased levels of polarization and mistrust at the first session of the Preparatory Commission for the 11th Review Conference on the Treaty, due to take place in 2026. At a time when flexibility is most most needed, the lack of a chair's summary will be detrimental in working towards consensus, he said. 
the vatican permanent observer therefore called on states parties to the nuclear non-proliferation treaty to work to reverse the current downward spiral of arms control and disarmament policies furthermore archbishop Katra relayed the holy see's unequivocal condemnation of all rhetoric that threatens the use of nuclear weapons and of nuclear explosive testing the vatican representative concluded his intervention by saying that despite the dark clouds of growing conflict and escalatory rhetoric there is ample space for hope in this regard he said the holy see looks forward to the convening of the second meeting of states parties of the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons it also welcomes the deliberations of the mpt working group on further strengthening the review process I am Lisa Zingarini. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan is set to hold a press conference this morning at the U.S. Capitol. Republicans have been meeting behind closed doors trying to find a path forward to elect a new leader, but so far have come up short. Parents are taking legal action against some California schools for alleged religious discrimination. Nonprofit interest law firm First Liberty Institute filed a lawsuit against California education officials and charter schools in the Sacramento and Maricopa areas. The parents claim the schools discriminated against families who choose to homeschool their kids with faith-based curricula by not allowing them to use state money to purchase materials or classes that have religious perspectives. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past the hour. The It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. Where do we get our strength? If you had asked Popeye the sailor, he would say you get it by eating spinach. If you asked an Olympic athlete, he or she would say they ate their Wheaties. But if you ask St. Paul, he says his strength comes from Jesus Christ. In the second letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults, hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul presents his limitations as opportunities for God to do great things for him. Paul gives us all an important lesson on life. Material or financial success are passing realities. What one needs to focus on is his spiritual strength. If we are spiritually strong, there is nothing that will ultimately destroy us. Spiritual strength requires humility. We have to know our weaknesses and our sins. It's only then that we can realize that we can only thrive with God. For all of our successes, give God the glory and give God the praise. He desires that we accomplish great things, but we can do it only with his grace. And we hear this from the heart of St. Paul. 
The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thanks for being with us on this Friday, October 20th. I'm uh, in Alabama just for the rest of the morning uh, here at the Catholic Radio Conference. Great to see so many of the wonderful people who are helping Catholic Radio happen in your area. And I hope that you're doing what you can to uh, support them and help them keep on keeping on. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. They're online at lifeandhope.com. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, so we don't often talk about Ozzy Osbourne here, uh, but it appears that we are going to need to tell what you saw and uh, why we need to address it. Freddie, I don't know how many of your listeners remember Ozzy Osbourne. He came up in the 70s. He was with the, with the band Black Sabbath. Um, I'm, I'm a 70s uh, uh, classic rock on a... Uh, in fact, I still listen to a lot of classic rock today. Nonetheless, I... I don't know if you remember this, Matt. Do you remember what, uh, do you remember what Ozzy Osbourne was kind of infamous for back back in the day? Well, was it him? Was he the 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 bat eater? I can't remember. I get him and, and yeah. Alice Cooper. Yeah, that's okay. guys and who else? Who, so. who else knows what he would do on stage? But yeah, he, he's known, or he bit a hat, uh, bit bit the head of a bat off during a concert. So the, so we're talking about somebody who uh, probably doesn't share the, the same Christian values. That we talk about on this program, but nonetheless, there, there was an interview that came out, and his wife Sharon, and and they talked about a quite lengthy interview about how they're going to commit suicide together. They have a suicide pact. If they ever experience uh, a time in their life where they they start to, uh, I, I guess, come down or or experience some type of mental, uh, some mental, um, whether it's Alzheimer's or dementia, they're going to fly to. Switzerland together and, and kill themselves. And uh, what, what was so disturbing about this, Matt, and I guess it's not not all that surprising, was the enormous amount of attention this received from the media. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere and, and without seeing articles written about this suicide pact uh, that him and his wife would have. And some of the language in, in the article was just was just terrible. Um, I mean, I mean, just the message that they're sending really to a demographic. They're, they're hugely popular, not not because uh, Ozzy was a rock and roll star, but they had, I guess, a, some um, reality show that was hugely pos- um, popular. Yeah, the Osbournes. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, 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 and that's what's troubling and how this, this could impact a demographic that's already high on the list for suicide. And, and one of the things that really disturbed me in the article was that they, they look at this, uh, Sharon and Oz, Ozzy look at this as being a way to, to alleviate burden for their kids. They don't want to put their kids through a burden of having to care for them if they ever do experience some type of mental decline. And they said at the end of the article, this is, this is the final gift of love that they're going to give their kids. They're going to kill themselves. So, um, you know, Matt, it remind me, and I'll let you uh, talk, you know, Responses, but it reminds me of the time back in 2014 where when Brittany Maynard made headline news in the media, she became a media darling when she was uh, going to commit suicide. She had to go to a different state. She lived in California, and she had to she had to go to Oregon and become a resident there in order to, to kill herself because she had a terminal brain tumor. And just the way the media embraced her and told her story and, and really described her and portrayed her as a hero. Uh, and, and really consequences of, of her deciding to kill herself. It's still, it's still being felt today. So these are, these are very dangerous, um, very troubling and disturbing uh, 
types of situations that the media just glorifies, and it really pushes this assisted suicide agenda. And, and really, um, I mean, it does it does what Wesley talks about. It, 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 you know, whenever you treat treat killing as an answer to suffering, I mean, it just it just goes on and on. And, and I think that's what the message these these types of uh, um, you know articles and these people send to, to the public. Well, there's man, there's a, a lot that I would be interested in saying about this. It's interesting because, uh, you know, it's hard to kind of know where Ozzy has been along the ways, uh, in terms of faith, because there's a lot of interesting imagery that pops up in his songs. And it's sometimes hard to tell whether, uh, by exploring darkness, he is critiquing it or encouraging it actually so much. So, um, that I think he got sued years ago because someone committed suicide and included like song lyrics in their, in their note, right? Like there's a lot of, sort of dark and weird things that um that black sabbath and ozzy has been involved in but there's also uh you know when i see this story and i you know kind of see how it plays out i'm not thinking about ozzy osbourne like the you know godfather of metal (laughs) you know i'm thinking of ozzy osbourne a rich person who's like a baby boomer with lots of money living a very comfortable lifestyle. And there's a whole generation that thinks of him and his family that way because of the show, the Osbournes. And so I, I think it's also um, a dangerous thing to kind of throw out there because there's a lot of elites pushing this message who are already living like really comfortable situations and kind of showing this image, like the second that you sort of lose comfort and convenience, that should be right. And that's, I mean, what message does that send to every class underneath that? And what message does it give other people in the higher classes about how people with lower qualities of life, quote unquote, ought to be handling their situations. Well, absolutely, Matt. I mean, I couldn't agree more. And and the fact that we're such a celebrity focused society today and some, you know, through social media and, and, and television, there's, there's so many ways to, to access uh, media today on our phones and streaming and, you know, when this stuff gets out there and, and it impacts these kids that are so focused on these celebrities and want to be a celebrity and they take what they say, uh, I mean, they don't, we shouldn't take these types of messages lightly. Uh, when, when you have a, you know, just a few years ago, I, I, wrote, I, I brought this statistic up uh, that suicide is the second leading cause of death for, the, for, for ages 10 to 14 and 25 to 34, and it's the third leading cause of death from 15 to 20. 24 age, age group, suicide. And then we're pushing this narrative that, that assisted suicide is okay if, if you start to experience some type of suffering. You know, it reminds me back when Robin Williams killed himself a few years ago, and, and of course the, the whole nation was mourning because of the love they had for Robin Williams because of his, his comedy and so many great movies that he made. And I remember the media was asking, did, did, our, mental, did our mental health community fail Robin Williams because of his, his mental challenges that he was, that he was facing? Well, you know, you come out with stories like that, but then you come out with, you know, you glorify assisted suicide, and, and you talk about how these celebrities are going to kill themselves if they have mental challenges. So, I mean, you know, what, what messages, mixed, mixed messages are you sending to the public and to these kids in these age groups when, when you, you mourn in, uh, the death of someone like Robin Williams who committed suicide, but then you push the assisted suicide agenda with these other types of celebrities? So, uh, I mean, it's just, as I said, it's just troubling and... and I just don't think people understand the impact that this could have on an age group that that is that is uh, very high on 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 the um, statistics for suicide. 
Well, you know, I'm not one to read hearts, and I'm not one to pretend that celebrities aren't people too, right? Because they got as much dignity as every single other person right. in the world, right? And I think we tend to objectify them as well. And, uh, you know, I'm just reminded of another story that came out this week, uh, you know, Britney Spears talking about how, you know, she felt pressured into an abortion by Justin Timberlake. And you want to just be like, oh, these are just like people off in, you know, outer space. They're not even like really human in our eyes. We think of them as faces on posters and televisions. But um, I think it's important to like in this process, remember that like it's not just about like the legislation. It's about, you know, imagine what would happen if somebody like that was making the right kinds of choices. Right. And standing up for a culture of life, that kind of impact you could have in the other direction. Yeah, it's just this failure to remind remind ourselves and remind the public that we're all more, we're all vulnerable, uh, Matt, and we're not we're not burdened, and we need to be. You know, our, our humanity is to care for one another. It's, it's the failure to remind everybody that we all have human dignity and we and we should be cared uh, this way, and that killing is never the answer, and it, and it flies in the face of everything we're taught as Christians. I mean, we're taught to to love and and and. and Make sure we do everything we can to preserve life, not find ways and rationalize and justify killing people because they might be experiencing some type of suffering or they think that it's okay because they're a burden on society or a burden to families. So it's just, it's just, it's frightening. And, and then it just, it's just frustrating when you see these articles come out and then how, how the media just, just glorifies these celebrities, particularly something like this that can be so dangerous. Well, Bobby, it's a great reflection as we continue through Respect Life Month here in the month of October to continue to pray uh, for all people who are vulnerable and, you know, not just in the terms of, of, of the medical community, but vulnerable because of the mindsets that they're in, right, um, that would cause them to make these decisions for themselves or for their the people in their care. So thanks so much, Bobby. We've got lifeandhope.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right, we're going to look ahead to the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan next. It's 13 Till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. 
St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Our good friend Rose Sweet is back later today on Catholic Answers Live. Join us! Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now, back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 11 minutes till. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Jonathan Duncan, priest of the Diocese of Charleston, South Carolina, director of spiritual health at Bon Secours St. Francis Hospital. He also works in school and campus ministry. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. Yeah, we got a, uh, a uh, pretty charged gospel for the 29th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Um, I know that probably a lot of pastors are probably going to aim their uh, their discussion, their homily towards Matthew 22, where Jesus is talking about paying the taxes to Caesar and, and all of that. Uh, what jumps out to you about this exchange? Because there's just there's a lot of layers to it. There is a lot going on there. I think it's it's helpful for us as we're in an increasingly uh, polarized and polarizing political climate. I think it's fascinating. We, we find at the beginning of the gospel that there are two groups who normally would not get along, would not collaborate, would hate each other. We're introduced to the, to the Pharisees and the Herodians. Uh, to give some context, the Pharisees would have been uh, men of the people, uh, street preachers, um, very conservative in their application of the law and of what was expected of, of Jewish identity, whereas the Herodians, uh, as the name would suggest, were much more in league with the ruling authorities, uh, with the puppet king Herods. These were kind of the, the liberals of their day, the sort of, you know, go along, get along, uh, you know, we don't want to resist uh, the cultural authority too much. And so, they're seeking to entrap Jesus. I think it's interesting and fascinating that the only thing they agree on is that they want to bring Jesus down, that Jesus is a threat to both these um, corrupt, self-righteous, kind of conservative types, and also these sort of accommodating, um, liberal, empowered types. Jesus is a threat to both, and both of them want him out of the picture. The Pharisees, of course, uh, and the Herodians know that the issue to get him on will be taxes. Taxes was a big deal in the ancient empire. It was about the only thing that would really piss off the Roman authorities so much uh, that they would come and crush you. They weren't really concerned if you had your own weird religious beliefs or practices, as long as you didn't revolt and paid your taxes. So they know this is the thing to get him on. The Pharisees, of course, are hoping that he'll say, uh, pay the taxes. And then they can discredit him with the people and say, you know, he's not a man of the people like, like we are. He's a, he's a puppet. He's a stooge of the authority. The Herodians, of course, are hoping he'll say, don't pay the taxes. And then they can arrest him. They can tell the Romans he's an instigator. He's a revolutionary. And Rome will crush him, as they, as they always do. And yet his response is wise Uh, and beautiful and revolutionary, because he essentially says, you're both wrong. You've both missed the point. So he asks them, he begins with, what belongs to Caesar? 
It says, you know, whose, whose impression is on this coin? What, what belongs to him? Well, of course, it's his coin. He made it. He can have it. It bears his image. Give to Caesar the thing that he made that bears his image. In other words, Jesus is, is clear. You know, pay your taxes. Be obedient to authority as much as you can. We see this strand throughout the New Testament. St. Paul was clear about this. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your authorities. Uh, Christians from the beginning uh, have not been revolutionary in the sense of trying to overthrow governments. In fact, uh, in that early Christian letter, I think it's first or second century letter to Diognetus, it's an anonymous letter. It talks about how uh, Christians in every place where they find themselves, they're, they're good citizens. You know, they're the soul of a community. They're faithful. Uh, they, they seek to live out their lives peacefully and yet with a revolutionary uh, morality and a revolutionary way of, of living, a revolutionary charity. So on the one hand, Jesus is saying, pay your taxes, be obedient in as much as you can. No authority has been ordained except by God. Uh, Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it were not given you from above. But the other edge of this is by asking, by telling him, okay, give to Caesar what he made, what belongs to him, what bears his image, and give to God what is his. In other words, what did God make? And what bears his image? What belongs to him? Well, of course, the first answer is everything. Everything. Not just Sunday is the Lord's day. Every day is his. Um, everything belongs to him. He made all things. And then, of course, what bears his image in a particular way? Us. Yeah. Humanity. Yeah. And so we're to it's, offer it, ourselves. Yes, give Caesar the things that are his. In the grand scheme of eternity, Caesar's money is, is monopoly money. In the grand scheme of things, it's play money. But give to God yeah. that which truly belongs to him, which is all things, our whole life, our whole devotion, every moment, not just an hour on Sunday, our whole life, our whole week, Every moment, the earth is the Lord, Psalm 24. Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're made in his image, so that means especially our lives belong to God. And this is, this is revolutionary because it pushes back against both the Pharisees and the Herodians and ultimately pushes back even in our modern day against political divisions of liberal and conservative because we're told to be good, faithful citizens and yet know who are true master and our true homeland is yeah it's uh you know i think about you know all the frustrating things that happen to us but i think about how this plays out where our persecuted brothers and sisters are in places like nicaragua and nigeria and you know their struggle to be good citizens but always remind even the governments above them that they serve somebody bigger than the, the the person who is uh in governmental authority over them so yeah it's great stuff to reflect on uh, heading into this weekend, the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 22. Father Duncan, have a great day. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show here on a Friday morning. Uh, glad to be here at this uh, great Catholic Radio Conference, and uh, I hope all the people who put on Catholic Radio get back safely to uh, where they uh, where they work and continue to make uh, make strides and, and help and share the Gospel in your local community. And I hope you support them in those efforts. Uh, we'll be back again on a Monday morning for most of you listening on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. In the meantime, I'm Matt Swaim for Anna Mitchell and all of our guests. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.